Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. Hey, Dogwood, how are you? Was that good? Yes, it was. So that's pretty much the message today. Let's pray and we'll uh, go home. No, you got to listen. So, uh, you know, that's where we are today. We're in the second week of a six-week series of studies where we're opening God's Word and, uh, to get some help from God on how to work it out when we have conflict, when we are in disputes, uh, interpersonal conflict. And we know that conflict, it comes at different levels, obviously, you know, uh, politically and in big groups and, and, and big scope of things, even countries having conflict. But uh, we found the best way to, to, to make the world a better place, God says, is start with us, interpersonal. We'll have a better world when we have better people. Uh, getting along with each other. Now, uh, I have discovered that I, I told you last week when we started this series that I, my, my own conflict level has gone up uh, in preparation for this. God still got me in class. Um, I have another uh, little bit of communication this afternoon scheduled. And um, so I'm getting a pretty good workout. I have discovered that most of the conflict that I have, I'm the problem. And so, you know, that sounds like a nice thing for a pastor to say. You should say, but, you know, I really am. And I wonder if you might be the problem with conflict in your life. But I don't like to admit it uh, to myself, much less to anyone else. I find that when, when I suddenly uh, find myself in, in a dispute or conflict or an argument or some kind of disagreement with somebody that's inappropriate, this could become unhealthy, I find my mind, I can't think clearly and I can't see things clearly. I can't see, I sometimes want to say, how do we, how'd this happen? You ever feel like that? How, how do we get here? How do we, and uh, I also um, I find that I have a little bit of uh, uh, difficulty uh, because I am, uh, I'm way too easily offended. Are you? I, I'm, I find minor offenses. I'm way too easily uh, offended. I'm, I find that it's um, also, I find it's almost impossible for me at times to take responsibility for my part in a conflict. I mean, like, could, how could I be wrong? You know, my mama <laughs> said, you know, I'm this wonderful guy. How could I be wrong? And so uh, I have difficulty with these things. Well, we want to drill down on that today because there is some help for you and me from God's Word. Now, last week when we uh, started this series, we took the first step. We looked at the first step in working it out, resolving personal conflict, and that is rather than focusing on uh, the behaviors and actions of other people, uh, rather than focusing on what I, what I want out of this and my own selfish desires, I stop and choose to glorify God. I ask the question, Lord, what would, how can I glorify you in this situation. Now, there's, a, there's way more to that, and if you missed the talk, it's posted on our website. You can go back and listen to it and, uh, and catch up. The second step that we find in God's Word in uh, avoiding peace breaking and avoiding peace faking, as we described it last week, and instead to, to pursue peace making, 
is to uh, choose to clean our own eyes. Clean our own eyes. Uh, we, rather than focusing on others, we clean our own eyes. Jesus said it famously in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Now, you may want to grab your note sheet and jot these down. I'm going to take you to a lot of verses. You'll need to look them up, first of all, later to make sure I'm legit, but also to work them into your own soul. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the biblical inspiration, uh, whether he knew it or not, for Michael Jackson's hit song. You know why that song resonates with so many people around the world? It's because it's, tr- it's God's Word. It, he did, I don't know whether he knew that or not. He may have. But it's, it's the practical outworking of this. Now, how many of you, when we read that verse, felt the urge to laugh out loud? No one. You mean, are, are, there, are, there, is there, are there anyone of, of you in here whose hobby is reading and laughing at ancient Jewish humor? Anyone? No, no. Jesus is cracking a joke here to make a point. Uh, Jewish humor, ancient Jewish humor was humor by exaggeration. So on the Sermon on the Mount that day, when he said uh, these very words, he said, hey, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. The whole crowd went, (laughs) you didn't, but you should have. You see, Jesus was a master. He knew what made people laugh. He would get them laughing, and then he'd cram the truth down their throat while their mouth was open. <laughs> and that's what he did in this. That's what he did here in this verse. Now, you can see that he's exaggerating. Here's a guy that's got a log in his eye. He's got a two-by-four sticking out his eye, and he's looking around to say, you've got a speck in your eye, and he's whapping people with the log and trying to, you know, he said, how ridiculous is that? First Take the log out of your own eye, the big problem out of your own eye, then help your brother get clarity on uh, theirs. In other words, take a look at the man in the mirror. Ask him to change his ways. Take a look at the gal in the mirror. Ask her to change her ways to make a change. That's what Jesus is saying here. So instead of dwelling on or attacking others when you're in conflict... First, take responsibility for your contribution to the issue. I need to do that. Now, I'm going to give you three ways that we do that. And so here's the first one. Jot this down. We clean out our own eye first by examining ourselves. We, uh, that's obvious. We examine ourselves. Now, look at Lamentation chapter 3, verse 40. It says, Let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord. Throughout the Scripture, Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, we are commanded, we are exhorted, we are encouraged uh, by words, commands, and examples that we are to live lives of uh, personal examination. Examine yourself. Examine our ways, especially when conflict uh, comes. Jesus commands us to do this before we try to show our opponent or the person with whom we are in conflict their part of the problem. We are to examine ourselves first. Now, here's how you do that. First of all, be honest about your sin. I am to be honest about my sin. Now, write down that word sin, S-I-N. 
Uh, sin is used described with several words in the Bible: transgression, uh, all kind of all kind of uh, words. But the word sin comes from the Greek word sine, and it, it was an, uh, based in an archery term. Uh, imagine a bullseye. And imagine uh, uh, an archer letting an arrow fly, and it hits out on the edge of the target. The distance measured from the bullseye to where the arrow hit the target was the sine. It was the margin of error. It was the how far he missed the mark. Got it? And so when the Bible describes our missing the mark, when we fail to be or do what God commands, and we don't do what He does command We miss the mark. You see, the Bible says there is an outside of you and outside of me, there is an external, out there, up there, objective standard of morality that exists. God himself is the only one who is good, and he established it. Now, starting back in the 1700s, somewhere 16th, 1700s, um, we moved into the modern age of thinking, and we began this process of coming to the place where we don't believe. We tend to say, well, no, 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 no. There's no objective standard of right and wrong uh, external out there, up there, that we are all... um, responsible to, no, not someone we are responsible to. We look within ourselves and we determine what's right for us and wrong for us. What might be wrong for you is not wrong for me. What's right for me may be wrong for you. Uh, there's a Greek word for that, baloney. <laughs> and uh, no, 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 there is. There is an objective. And God says when, when, we, when he has an objective standard of moral and ethical expectations and none of us meet them, all, he said, the Bible says all, fall short, all have uh, fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and missed the mark. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. So when we fail to be and do what God commands us to be and do, and when we fail, uh, when we don't do what he commands us to do, we are not just kind of breaking some impersonal set of rules. We are offending a, a God who made us and loves us. We are living in, re, we are revolting and rebelling against a God uh, to whom we are responsible. We are hurting his feelings. You know, God has feelings too. Check it out. And so we miss the we miss the mark. So we we are we become honest about our uh, about our sin because I don't I don't like to admit that I have sinned, and when, because of that I tend to want to conceal it. I tend to want to deny it. I tend to want to rationalize uh, my wrongs. And if I can't completely cover up what I've done, I I try to minimize my wrongdoing by simply saying that I made a oh I made a mistake or an error in judgment or oh I misspoke. No, sins and mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, they do. They also commit sins. They're not the same thing. Barbara Head came in this morning. She told me the story about a rodeo cowboy who was uh, being interviewed by his uh, insurance agent for an uh, insurance policy, and and, uh, his agent said, well, have you ever been in an accident? He said, no. She said, so you mean you're a rodeo cowboy and you've never had an accident? Well, no. He said, nothing, nothing. You've never been injured? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I have been injured. He said, one time I, we were out taking care of the horses out in the crowd, and I wasn't paying any attention, and a snake bit me. He said, another time I got bucked off a horse, and he kicked my ribs in, broke my ribs. He said, well, that's an accident. He said, oh, no, they did that on purpose. <laughs> See, 
When we sin on purpose, you did that on purpose. I do those things on purpose. Mistakes are mistakes. Sins are sins. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin, when I don't want to be honest about my sin, I try to downplay it. I try to conceal it. I try to minimize it. But First John chapter 1, verse 8 says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So first of all, we examine ourselves when we're in conflict and we say, like the psalmist, Lord, you show me because I can deceive myself. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any sinful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Psalm 139 uh, tells us, and so we get honest about our sin. That's the way we begin to clean out our own eyes. Second, uh, we continue this cleaning out our eyes by confessing our sin, not just identifying it, but Confessing it, look at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Finds mercy. Now, confession is not just admitting our sin uh, and stating it. That's like, you know, uh, my kids when they were little. I'm sure I did it when I was little too. Now I'm watching my grandkids do it. Some, my oldest one's gr- grown out of this now, but the younger one's just learned that this, there's this magic word. It's called sorry. Sorry. That's magic word. It's all, you know, just mess up and, oh, sorry. You know, no repent. Let's do it again. No repentance there. You see, that, that's not repentance. That's not confession. Uh, confession means that we sorrow to the point of repentance. The Bible says uh, in one place, I, I rejoice not that you sorrowed, but that you sorrowed and repented. There's a change that, that comes. It's more than feeling sorry for our sin. It's coming to our senses, changing our mind about it, mourning it, grieving it, and turning away from it. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, that's turning away from it, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him, what, turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God. Now, the good news is the Bible provides us with very clear uh, insight and coaching on how to go about this confessing. Once we examine ourselves and are honest about our sin, then the Bible gives us really good ways about going about confessing our sin. I'm going to call these, I want to give you some handles to hang on to because this is a progression. Ready? You're going to need some room. There's going to be seven of them. I ca- and they all start with the letter A. I call them the A's, seven A's of confession uh, that you and I must follow in order to do what Jesus said. Clean the log out of our own eye. Clean the plank out of our own eye. Uh, Look at the man in the mirror, the gal in the mirror first and deal with uh, them. So here we go. Here's the first word. Write down the word address or this. Address everyone involved. Address everyone involved. And um, as a general rule, we are to confess our sins to everyone who was directly affected by our sin. And that starts with God. So write to them. Begin with God. We start with, uh, we start with Him because until I am reconciled with God by confessing my sin, I can't be reconciled with my brother or sister. Uh, the psalmist did, said it this way in Psalm 32 verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. So, look at me. 
Say, start with God. Okay, then we move on to other people. Now, whether or not a sin should be confessed to other people as well as to God depends on whether it was one of two things. Watch this. Let me give you two terms. Whether it was a heart sin or a social sin. Say heart sin. Say social sin. Okay, here we go. Here, so what's the difference? Here it is. Uh, a heart sin takes place only inside of you, only in your thoughts, only in your feelings, uh, toward someone else, maybe toward God or toward someone uh, else. And since it does not directly affect other people, it needs to be confessed only to who? God. God. They don't know about it. You know about it. He knows about it. It offends him. We confess to him. Only when my thoughts and my feelings rise to the place that they affect my behavior toward someone else and they become social sins and the other person is aware of what I have done uh, to them, then I am to confess to that person. Got it? Got it? Good, good. So... um, if your sins have wronged one person, you go to that one person privately. If it's affected more people, more than one person, well, go to them. You know, ideally go to them one-on-one privately in that uh, situation and confess your uh, sin. So number one, first A, address everyone involved. Number two, avoid three words, if, but, and maybe. Avoid these three words. You see, no watered-down confessions. Uh, they do not produce reconciliation. Don't say, none of these, no, if I was wrong or if I hurt you, nah, not that, not that. No, maybe I could have tried harder or maybe I was wrong. No, no, maybe, no, maybe. The most powerful one of these negatively is the word but. I shouldn't have lost my temper, but you made me mad. But, but, you see, the word but has the power to um, cancel all of the words that preceded it in relationships. For example, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, but you really upset me. You just wiped out that first phrase. How about this? I should have kept my mouth closed, but she asked for it. Or I know I was wrong, but so were you. Negate. I'll let, avoid if, but, and, and maybe. Uh, number three, a word, admit specifically. Admit specifically. You see, specific admissions help convince others that you are honestly and that I am honestly facing up to what I have done, which makes it easier for them to forgive you. It makes, them easy, makes it easier for them uh, to forgive uh, me. Uh, not just some big general way. It'll ha- and it also, I've discovered when I confess uh, specifically, it helps me identify the behaviors that I need to change. I mean, they come to light there. Uh, you might, someone might say something like this. Here's an example. My critical comments have not only hurt you, but they've offended God as well. I have disobeyed His command not to slander others by slandering you. That's pretty specific, don't you think? You get that specific. I get re- as clear and specific as I can. So I uh, 
I uh, include, um, I address everyone involved. I avoid these if, but, and maybe words. I admit specifically, number four, jot this down, I apologize. I apologize. If you want to, uh, someone to respond positively to your confession of your sin against them, make it a point to apologize for your behavior. Don't just say, I did this, but say, I'm sorry. I regret it. I hate that I did this. I feel terrible over what I, what I did to you. You uh, apologize for what you've done. Because uh, apology, an apology is an expression of sorrow and uh, regret for having wounded another person, however that was uh, done. And uh, it'll show that you understand that your behavior had a negative effect on this other person. It'll show them that. You might say something like this. Here's an example. You must have been terribly embarrassed when I said those things in front of everyone. I'm very sorry I did that to you. Just get really specific there. Number five, jot this down. Accept the consequences. Our, our behavior, sin always has consequences. It sets things in motions that aren't good. And... Uh, we just might need to take those. And so accept them. And sometimes it's very helpful to uh, explicitly uh, to accept the consequences of your, your behavior. Even in, uh, you know, I did this to you and I know I have broken your trust and now you don't trust me and I've got a long journey to rebuild that trust. I accept those consequences. And so you get very specific. Number six, address plans to change behavior. Now, this is another way that you express sincere repentance. The Bible says um, that we are, listen to this, to repent and then do deeds that give evidence of repentance. So when I repent, I I actually do deeds that give evidence of uh, repentance. So how how can we know if someone's genuinely repented? Well, you watch them for the next 12 months. Did they do deeds that give evidence that they changed their mind about their sin and their behavior and they turned to God and back toward you and their behavior? Like, for example, I've performed one or two weddings over the last 46 years in ministry and the vast majority of them, the bride and groom, wanted to include the reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and following in the ceremony. Did any of you have that in your ceremony? Barb did. Nobody else. The most bad illustration. Anybody else have that one? Yeah, yeah. Love is patient. Love is kind. Listen to this. Um, love uh, does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. My problem is I'm not patient. I mean, even sometimes with Allison, the person I love in the mo- most in the world, I'll not be patient, I'll not be kind. Uh, I, I want my, I, you know, I, I'm rude at times, I'm self-seeking, I want my own way. I'm easily provoked. I keep a record of wrongs. I do the opposite of these things. Well, what would, what would repentance look like? Would look like I could look, start looking like this, wouldn't it? And so you 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 accept a uh, a clear uh, pattern 
uh, a plan to change your behavior, listing specific goals. I recommend that you even send an email or a note to the person with whom you've had a dispute when you have repented to say, you know, I'm serious about this. I'm, I'm working on this. Here's some things I recognize that I have done that wounded you. Here's my plan. I'm, for example, I say, I'm going to memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and following. I'm going to meditate on those daily, and I'm going to ask God to turn me into this, give me the power to behave in this fashion. Now, that, that's a start, right? Is that a good start? That'd be a plan. You could look at that, and you could give that to uh, someone else in your life. You address a plan to uh, behave. And number seven, ask forgiveness and allow time. Ask forgiveness and allow time. Now, if you and I follow these six steps above, and here they are one one more time, address everyone involved, avoid if, but, and maybe, admit specifically, apologize, accept the consequences, address plans for change in behavior. If If you follow all of these, many people will quickly forgive you and you'll be reconciled. That's really a great relief. Really a great relief. If, if the person to whom you confess does not express forgiveness, I recommend at that point that you ask for it. After all of these, the final step would say, will you forgive me? Now they immediately may say, they may immediately say, yes, I forgive you. Whew, that's good. That's very, very good. But they may need more time Now, be careful. Let me give you a caution. Don't use this question as a means to pressure someone into a decision they're not ready to make. Uh, I've had too many conversations with people in conflict in my office or have been invited to their home or their workplace, and they ask me to be a referee. It's just such a wonderful thing and fun thing to do. (laughs) And and, um, they get to the point where one would ask for forgiveness and the other person, they really hadn't, it just came really too quickly. And the first person said, I, I just need to think about it. And then say, here's what would come out of the matter. You're supposed to be a Christian. You have to forgive me. And I go, and I blow the referee whistle. Foul. <laughs> you see, if you're the offender, you don't have the moral standing to demand forgiveness. You understand that? You understand that? Some of you, some of you live with somebody that pulls that trick on you all the time without looking at them and giving it away. You might just nudge them a minute. It's just, it's, it's inappropriate. It's unhealthy. You don't have, so don't use that question to try to manipulate someone. If they can't forgive you yet, some people just need a little more time because of the bruise on their emotions and the bruise uh, on their thoughts. They just need time to kind of untie the knots a little bit. Here's what you say. Just say, well, I I hope one day you'll be able to forgive me, and I'm going to pray that we'll be reconciled. Thank you for hearing me. And you leave it it at, at, uh, at that. So now, not all, all again, not all confessions require all the seven steps. But this is this is God's way, according to His Word, of taking the plank out of our own eye, of getting before the mirror and looking at the man in the mirror, looking at the gal in the mirror, and say, "You got to change your ways." This is how we do it. We examine. We're on it. We examine ourselves. We're honest about our sin. We confess our sin to everybody involved, God and other people. 
according to the seven A's of confession. Finally, there's one more step to take. Jot this down. Number three, we transform our behavior by transforming our behavior. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're talking about being an imitator of Christ and Him changing us to become the kind of person that He wants us to be. Now, if you're serious about change, you have to enter into a a life of serious training with Jesus. So what's plan B? There is no plan B. He is the one who can transform people from the inside out. And... um, You must arrange your life around certain activities that Jesus taught and Jesus practiced that kept Him in vital relationship with God the Father that He taught and practiced that will keep you close to Him so that He can change you by the power of His Holy Spirit and His grace operative in your life. He will be at work in you both to desire and to do what pleases Him. Philippians chapter 2 tells us. And so you enter into these these practices. Spiritual formation and changed behavior is not a matter of just trying harder. It's a matter of training rightly and wisely with Jesus, following Jesus wisely through spiritual practices. They're sometimes called spiritual disciplines. They're sometimes called spiritual habits, but um, it's the spiritual practices. Now, we teach the fundamentals of these spiritual practices in our Dogwood Journey Seminar, the second one in the sequence, right after Class 101, the Belong Seminar, is the Grow Seminar, Class 201, Discovering Spiritual Growth. We teach you three essential spiritual practices to help you walk closely with Jesus there, where He will therefore keep uh, causing you to become more like Him. Uh, if you've not taken that, take the Belong Seminar first, become a member of the church, then take the Growth Seminar, Class 201. I recommend that some of you who have done did that years ago, sign up for the next one and do a refresher. I find when I teach that seminar uh, every now and then, uh, and I've been practicing these habits since I was in college, that they I am wonderfully refreshed and reminded of how God uses them. So take it as a refresher. It would be a great idea. Also... Um, September the 23rd, we kick off our uh, fall spiritual growth campaign called 40 Days of Prayer. And we are going, all of us, in our worship services and in our life group meetings and in daily devotionals, uh, preschoolers through adults, our whole church, we're going to spend that whole seven weeks uh, drilling down on just one of the fundamental spiritual practices that help us draw near to Jesus and have Him change us, and it is the obviously the, the practice of prayer. So don't miss out on that. Clear your calendar. Get in a group. Be in all the services. So imagine with me the conflict that you're in right now. And God Himself, instead of attacking others or dwelling on what they've done wrong, you first of all say, Lord, I want to glorify You Now let me look in the mirror, examine myself, confess my sin to you and the people I've wounded, and enter into a lifestyle of walking with you through the spiritual practices 
you turn me into the kind of person you want me to be to make a real change. You might even be able to sing it like Jed. At least in your own method. Say, well, Keith, where do we start? Well, we start by being prayerful. And so let's pray. Let me speak to all of you who are already followers of Jesus. And I'm going to lead you into a time of prayer where where you express this desire to Christ. And this is how He can help you. So you pray from your heart after me. Dear Lord Jesus, in response to your love as expressed by your death on the cross for me, and in confidence in your power as expressed by your resurrection from the dead, in reliance on your grace, I commit myself to respond to conflict by choosing to glorify you and cleaning my own eyes. Help me. So that instead of attacking others or dwelling on their wrongs, I will take responsibility for my own contribution to the difficulty. Help me to do these three things. Examine my own ways. Confess my own sins. And transform my own behavior. Make that a reality. Lord Jesus, help me to change my attitudes and habits that lead to conflict. Help me to repair any harm that I've caused. And I trust you to empower me to do these things. Now as we continue to pray, let me speak to those of you who are not yet Christians. You might be saying, well, what about me? Well, this all begins by being reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, by becoming a follower of Jesus. Let me describe it this way. In Jesus, God the Father did something for you and for me that we cannot do for ourselves. He left heaven and became a man and yet was without sin, lived a sinless, perfect life. And then He arranged to go to the cross. And while He died on the cross... He did so as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Somehow God the Father arranged for all of the sin of of yourself and every human being to be credited to Jesus when He was hanging on that cross. And He atoned fully. He took the full punishment for that sin. Paid the penalty, satisfying His very own demands of justice. And then He rose from the dead proving that he was who he claimed to be and had the power to do these things and defeated the power of death, offering for us new and eternal life. And to those who trust him and commit themselves into his hands and ask him to apply to them personally what he accomplished when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, to them the Bible gives what it calls Eternal life, salvation, forgiveness, make you a brand new person. Home in heaven when you die, God's presence and power and care and supervision in this life, forgiveness for your sin. Some of you here today are ready. 
you'd say to the Lord Jesus, I, I'm ready to turn from my sin. I'm ready to give up control of my life in eternity and my self-centered living. I'm ready to place my active trust in you, Jesus, to forgive me, to lead me, to give me this gift of new and eternal life. And if you do so, you're about to be transformed by His amazing grace, given His Holy Spirit, and get to live life together with Him now and in eternity. And if that's you, if you'd say, Pastor Keith, I'm ready to do that right now. I want you to pray for me that I can do this. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? We had some folks do that in this service. Okay, God bless you. Who's, who's, it? who's next? I sound like an old evangelist. God bless you. I saw those hands. Yes. But I did see them. And I'm excited for you. Okay, I want to I lead you in a prayer. Again, this is just the desire of your heart. Nothing magic about these words. But if they express the desire of your heart, you, you pray them honestly to Christ. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. Well, God bless you. Those of you who prayed that prayer, welcome. There's one more thing. Whether you prayed to receive Christ just now or whether it was five years ago or five decades ago, uh, there's a next step, one more thing he wants you to do, and that's to confess him publicly. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, he said, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess uh, before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. Jesus even instituted the method that he wants us to use to go public with our faith, to confess our faith in him, our, private, our personal faith to confess and celebrate publicly. It's called in the Bible baptism. It's believer's baptism. And we have arranged for you to celebrate your Christian baptism this morning. After every service, we baptize people uh, who want to be baptized and go public with their faith out of obedience to Christ. It's a command. It's a next step that Jesus expects of everyone who believes in him. So as soon as the service is over, if you'll walk straight out these doors through the lobby, front lobby, and turn right on our patio, you'll find yourself in our baptism area. Our baptism team uh, members are right there right now waiting on you. They have everything you need to celebrate your your baptism. We have changing uh, areas. We have a change of clothes and towels for you, everything you need. You just go straight there, and as soon as the service is over, we had three people celebrate their Christian baptism after the first service today. Some of you may have seen them when they're coming in. Last week, we had six adults right after our services celebrate their Christian baptism. Go, 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 and, uh, and do that. It's, uh, it's a great next best step for many of you with God. So pray with me. Lord, thank you for hearing these prayers. And thank you that you have made a way for moral and spiritual fallups just like me to resolve the personal conflict that I create in my life. Make it so and multiply it throughout our congregation, we pray. And it's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. 
If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give. 